Welcome to the XA Podcast, the show that brings together the people that foster inclusive innovation across Southeast Asia. My name is Belinda Ong, and I am the Managing Director of the XA Network. Every episode, one of XA's members will lead a fireside chat or panel discussion with other members, founders, or investors that have shaped the tech ecosystem in this vibrant region. If you like what we have to say, please follow or subscribe to our show. And do remember to tell your friends and rate us five stars so others like you can find and benefit from all of our great content. Show notes are linked in the episode description and you'll find notes and additional resources there. Welcome to another episode of the People and Talent series of the XA podcast, where we bring together business leaders, people experts, and career growth specialists to share their insights and views on the latest talent trends with an emphasis on the startup ecosystem in the Southeast Asia region. We bring ideas, trends, innovations, and expert viewpoints to help our listeners learn more about the opportunities and pitfalls in the people space. So, whether you're a startup founder, industry leader, people manager, or a job seeker, our series has something for you. My name is Sergio Salvador, and I am your host for the People and Talent series. In my day-to-day work, I lead the people team at Carson, an e-commerce platform that provides efficient vehicle buying and selling services to individuals dealers and entities with a workforce of 5,000 amazing car summers. And now, on to today's episode. In this, um, in this episode of the People and Talent series for the XA podcast, I am very excited to be talking to uh, Vicky Chai. Vicky is a business leader specializing in HR. Her background has been as a consultative senior HR practitioner focused on culture building and the people side of M&A's transformation and operations, with a particular passion for building self-organized teams. Vicky was most recently the group head of people for Sing Life with Aviva. Vicky, welcome to the program. Thank you, Sergio. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you on people and talent. Um, let me maybe open up. Uh, this conversation with a very short uh, introduction of uh, where I've come from and also how I uh, how I got on the journey with Sing Life, so to speak. Um, so I um, I was a computer science uh, graduate, and my first two years of working experience was really as an IT support person. And um, shortly after that, I kind of realized that I prefer working with people. Uh, more than with machines, and was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to, to make that switch uh, into into HR, uh, primarily through recruitment. And so the last couple of many, many years, many, many moons, um, it's been a journey uh, in terms of working in different areas. I've rotated through different areas of HR competencies, uh, in-house and also with external uh, HR consulting firms. Uh, it's been a very fruitful journey. Uh, and an opportunity came uh, through a referral uh, to um, join Sing Life, uh, the InsurTech startup uh, that was formed in uh, 2017 with Walter Diode, uh, and um, that was a that was um, that was a real um, 
that was a fascinating start to a real a holistic um, startup experience for me at the time. Because prior to that, I've been in uh, startup roles in organizations, in established organizations. So I started up functions. I was went into greenfield roles, but this was really the first time I had a, a chance to work with a with a startup. And um, Sing Life, I was there with uh, Sing Life for about a year and a half when the deal with uh, Aviva was announced towards the end of 2020. And shortly thereafter, I was appointed uh, CPO for the combined entity, which uh, came together formally, legally, as one entity uh, in uh, January 1st this year. And then I was uh, then the group head of people for Sing Life. So that's a short piece of me and my journey so far. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that introduction. And uh, uh, I already have plenty of questions for you that I'm thinking. Uh, I, I, I feel like asking why I want to ask you. Uh, but first of all, I, I'd like to recognize that interesting journey that you had from a computer scientist right, uh, to uh, to head of people. Um, uh, and it resonates somewhat with me. I'm not myself. I was never smart enough to be a computer scientist. But oh. it was that affinity with technology and we seem to have ended up in similar spaces mm. from very different beginnings, right? Um, but maybe going back um, to what uh, you were mentioning, right? The the Sing Life with Aviva, the Sing Life with Aviva um, kind of merger. Uh, that doesn't sound like a small task, right? And I'm wondering if uh, if you could just share with us a little bit of you know how you went about right, as the head of people mm. uh, trying to figure out how to bring these very different teams together. Yes, I have to admit, you know, it was a daunting task um, because Sing Life with a consortium of partners acquired Aviva, mm-hmm. right? So you can say it it was a it was a small insure tech kind of acquiring a large established uh, insurance uh, firm. Mm-hmm. So it was a daunting uh, daunting um, challenge for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, so you know, with any merger, uh, the first thing to really understand is how similar or different uh, or unique each of the different organizations' cultures are, right? Um, Because, you know, as it's been said by Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And Mm -hmm. it's true, right? You may have the best uh, strategy, the best leadership team, uh, but if the people in a culture don't gel, then it's a real uphill struggle. So in, in this case, um, we had help uh, from external consultants, but also through my experience in previous M&As, uh, it was very clear the first thing that needed to be understood and uh, grabbed a hold on was the culture perspective. And we started this journey with, first of all, understanding where we are, right? How are, what are the culture and the values expressed by these two different organizations? Uh, how similar and how dissimilar they could be? And, you know, to our gratification, we, we found that actually the, organ- the two organizations had many values in common. You know, um, both organizations wanted to put customers first. They cared about the customers. They cared about providing great service, you know, uh, to their customers to care for them. Uh, they wanted to be agile going to market, right? And there was also this shared value around um, valuing what people brought to the table. So having that similarity helped, right? It formed a good foundation, uh, but there were also differences to be expected, right? If you're in a large organization, processes and practices happen in a particular way, right? When you're in a small startup, um, decision-making, um, 
communication happens in very different ways. So there were so those were the gaps uh, that came out um, through that cultural assessment, the similarities, and in terms of the ways of working, that uh, was also fleshed out. How fast were decisions made? How many levels of approvals did it need to happen through? So having that awareness helped us to understand why different teams from the two organizations would uh, act and behave and make decisions and solve problems differently, right? And then the next step was actually then to say, okay, now we know, now we know we're up, what we're up against. Let's harness on the shared values and beliefs we have about customers and about our colleagues and use that to slowly work through how we will evolve our practices around decision-making, around sharing information, around solving problems, right? So, and that was the more practical part of the culture journey, which, you know, would take years to kind of change, right? Because it wasn't just about teams um, doing things differently. It was also about the management team that's coming together, learning to also adopt new practices, new ways of working, and also maybe retaining some of the practices that worked in the past for a larger organization. So it was a really a bit of a yeah mix and match in that sense, um, but a conscious effort to move ahead collectively about what should work for us as a new organization. Right. Well, it does sound fascinating, uh, not to mention a huge amount of work. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, huge amount of work. And um, it was very important, of course, to, to gather as many people into the process actively in workshops, focus groups, and discussions uh, to come with us on that journey of change. Fantastic. And um, I think this um, also takes me to, um, in, a, in a kind of as a follow-up to that, right? Um, you already shared with us a little bit of your experience. Um, you have actually had experience in quite a few different industries, uh, telco, financial services, consulting. Uh, we already discussed your early years as a, as a computer engineer, computer and a software developer. And during that career, you have spent time both in corporate environments and startups. But if we focus a little bit on your time at the startups, right, I'm wondering um, well, a couple of things. Number one, how did all of that previous career um, enable you or prepare you for the journey at Sing Life? Hmm. Um, and, um, you know, what was your philosophy, your people philosophy? At Sing Life, especially from a hiring perspective. Okay, all right. I guess the first question of how uh, my previous maybe work experience prepared me for a startup. I I think personality wise, I am a person who loves to drive change from a you know from an enterprise basis. I've always sought out jobs that allow me to do that, either to start something up mm -hmm. or or to you know in the startup role, right? Uh, in a in an established organization to do something that's never been done before. Mm -hmm. So along with that came a bit of, I would say, self-assurance. Because you need to have a little bit of a self-assurance to say, actually, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I think it's going to work. But you know, let's let's try this and 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 go ahead. And if we make mistakes and if things don't turn out the way we do, we make adjustments. So that was kind of my um philosophy around why I chose those rules, because it gave me freedom, autonomy. But I also had a belief that I, I could, you know, with my experience, uh, start to make a contribution. In 
terms of how okay, the people philosophy at Sing Life, right? Um was really, you know, very much shaped also by the CEO founder, Walter. He was and is actually a great believer in people and a great has a great ability to maximize the potential of individuals in teams. Right. So having that philosophy was very helpful. For me personally, it was about how to um how to create self-organized teams so that we can truly unlock and harness the potential of talent in teams. Right? It was never about finding superstars and the most talented people, right? Because although if you even if you have them, if they cannot work together well, you don't have a team. You cannot you cannot drive change. You cannot um, you know deliver results. Mm. So it's about finding out how do we empower or actually give away power to to our colleagues so that they can come together, honor and respect each other's talents that they bring to the table, uh, and make things happen. Right. And you know, um, having a CEO founder who was like minded really helped um, enable that process. We took chances with people, we made mistakes, you know, we backtracked, you know, um, yeah, and and so it was a safe space also to experiment with with some of these people practices. And um, what you say resonates with me. I've I've seen quite a few times before that the thought that um, one of the most important relationships of a com- of a company of any size. Uh, but especially at the very beginning, right, is the relationship between the head of people and the and the CEO. Right? Mm. Um, you also were talking about uh, a little bit of what sounded to me like um, a, a, a culture of experimentation, right? where yes. you were uh, kind of trying things and learning from mistakes. I'd, I'd love to double click on that if that's okay. Mm. Yeah, uh, because uh, obviously, I in my past I've been with companies that also have this kind of culture, but it's not something that we find everywhere. I'm wondering kind of the reasons for this experimentation approach and what were the results, if you don't mm. mind sharing a, bit, a little bit. Yeah. I think fundamentally, right, it starts um, with the leaders and the values they hold, right? Um, I also came from many organizations that actually did not experiment, mm-hmm. right? That had set ways about doing things um, that had um, set consequences for, um, you know, mistakes, yeah. right? So it, how do I say this? It starts with the, with the leaders being able to tolerate um, mistakes, but also moving beyond that to have also experienced themselves uh, the mistakes that they've made, but been given the opportunity to learn and to continue to thrive, to learn from those mistakes and to continue to journey uh, with the organization successfully. So, um, so I guess it starts, it has to start with that, right? If the leaders don't make it safe um, to fail, and then, then it's hard. To fail, it's hard to learn from your mistakes. It's hard to make mistakes. Now, as a mechanism, um, what we did was we expected, we set the expectation that we expect people to make mistakes. You know, at the time we were a startup, what um, Sing Life in its early days was trying to do has never been done before. Yeah. So how do we know? We don't have the data analytics to back it up. 
how do we know? So we had to consciously say, we are going to test and learn. Mm. Okay, We do expect all of you to make some sort of mistakes because if you don't, then clearly you're not trying hard enough. You're not learning, right? There's, there's no opportunity to learn. So I think that the, um, the expectation was set. And when it did happen, we didn't bury it or cover it up or you know not talk about it. We're like, you know, even uh, at Walter's level, like, yeah, that was a good decision in hindsight, but it's not a good decision now. Or, yep, we tried that and it didn't work. Okay, what's next? What do we do now? What's plan B? What's plan C? Yeah. So it's able to um, also have those conversations in public, not in private, right? And not about assigning blame, like, oh, you know, this team didn't do that or you didn't do that. But like, okay, yes, we missed doing this okay, how do we fix it, right? So so it's about setting the expectation. It's about having those conversations. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's about uh, celebrating as well. Like, okay, we learned from that. And guess what? This is how we got this done better. Or guess what? We made, we did something we shouldn't, but it saved us, uh, you know, going down the wrong path. We discovered it early, yay. Right, so it's it's about sending that kind of environment, yeah, and it has to start, um, you know, with people who who lead the business in different parts, yeah. Right. Um, you brought up um, you brought up a very interesting word a moment ago, which, which is... was <laughs> analytics. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and I had a question for you regarding technology and you know analytics. Um, Analytics and technology do not necessarily have to go together. There's, a, there's, there's different ways of gathering data, right? But how, how important was data and analytics of that data? Yeah. Uh, I, at I, I actually, during my last three years now, we've seen life from small insurtech to establish insurance firm. I re- I've learned data is very valuable, mm-hmm. right? But even more so are the insights that you glean from data. When you start something, yes, you don't have data. you got to go with your past experience and you've got to be open about learning, right? But as you grow, uh, any business line, any product line, any service line, you need to collect data. You need to understand how customers are consuming your services and products, including employees, right? As, as HR professionals, our customers are our colleagues, our employees. They consume our services. How are they using it? Yeah. I've learned that gut feeling isn't always right, <laughs> right? It cannot be applied to everything, right? Especially in, 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 in on such a scale of cons- consumerism, right, of our services and products. So um, it is very important because I have learned to revise my own so-called opinions about how things should work or how employees behave or how management behaves through the use, through, through getting better data. Uh, and data is not just how people consume or you know services on the platform, on the tech platform, but it's also what they feed back to you on when you ask for feedback, right? So um, I, I, I think, you know, as, your, as our services scale, mm-hmm. the more important those that data is, uh, yeah, and it has to be a combination. It's not can't be purely you know binary, right? You know zeros and ones that you get from a platform. It has also got to be conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fascinating, and uh, I I couldn't agree more. Right? Um, and increasingly, the concept of people analytics 
is more and more important in, in companies. Although I feel that is still quite, um, to a certain extent, is still part of the realm of technology, mm. of technology related companies. But increasingly, I see it in more industries uh, slowly creeping into them, right? Because as you say, right, uh, um, it does allow to make better people-related decisions when you have yeah. that data. Yeah. Um, so today, right, uh, we can go out on the street and at least in Singapore, we can go to almost all places without wearing masks. Mm. Uh, someone who wears, who wears glasses like me, and I'm sure that applies to you as well, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is a significant sense of freedom when you don't have something foggy. That's right. An increased sense of well-being, I must say. (laughs) And a fogged over glass right in front of your eyes. But we shouldn't forget that for two years, right, uh, Mm -hmm. that was different. And companies and individuals had to operate in a very different environment. And uh, with the pandemic, I think, that tested many aspects of resilience for all of us, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly people like you and me, right, uh, in the in the people s- s- space. And I'm wondering if you can share some of the learnings that you had as you navigated the complexities of the situation, which at the end of the day is, is a crisis, right? Any yeah. any learnings that perhaps could be applied to other kinds of crises? <laughs> I'm not sure about application to other kinds of crises, right? But I think um, this pandemic really brought home mm-hmm. the point to me that we have to build human relationships first before mm-hmm. we can build uh, strong mm-hmm. working relationships mm-hmm. that will contribute to the resilience of an organization. Now, yeah. what I mean is this, right? A lot of times in the in the past, I mean, work has been work and life has been so busy. Yeah. That we, we go in, we do our stuff, right? We get on our calls, we have our face-to-face meetings, and then we go, we, we leave because, you know, the day yeah. is late and we go back and we repeat this, right? There are few opportunities to create um, relationships that extend beyond uh, the working environment. Yeah. So when the pandemic happened, right, and we were locked down for many, many months, up and down, up and down, um, the people were being left behind mm. in terms of um, their mental well-being, right? In terms of support in assimilating into either a new organization or an existing organization, but virtually, right? And many people felt lost, mm-hmm. right? And you know, as we were, as we are very aware, mental health issues uh, uh, are on, were on the rise, right? Mm-hmm. So it brought in the point to me that we have to establish a much more human relations in the workplace uh, more closely so that when another crisis appears, whether it's similar to the one that we just experienced or not, mm. people know that there are people that they can count on, mm. right? Um, that um, they know how they can work together virtually. Um, they know who they can call on. Right, rather than having to be surprised by this sudden, you know, wall of silence or remoteness, or when you get on a call, it's just five minutes and it's about work, and then you hang up. Right, so those human relationships uh, will be, I believe, the glue and the foundation for strong uh, working relationships. So, whatever crisis happens, I like to think people know they're not alone. Right, 
not just in terms of family and friends, but also in terms of being able to con- to continue to drive the business operationally forward. Right, I, I think it's very important. Um, I mean, you know, there are many many interventions that all you know our our fellow HR practitioners already do today. You know, increase support uh, for employee well being, right? Um, you know, um, you know, doing more either it's virtual or face and face face to face in person sessions around. You know, coming together, having a cup of coffee, a, a pint of beer. You know, talk over things, right? Um, those are important right those are touch points uh, but we need to figure out ways to build much more stronger relationships um so that we can continue to thrive uh in in periods of uncertainty that we know that we're not alone and we can uh, we can count on each other keep going and uh what you say actually reminds me of um, a sentence i've heard before uh of course uh I haven't coined it by any stretch of the imagination, but I am copying with pride, right? Uh, a sentence around, um, if you take care of your people, they will take care of your business. Mm. I'm not sure if you have come across this. Right? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Ultimately, it's about yeah. the fact that, yes, we are all people, right? And we yes. all deal with this crisis in different ways. Uh, but knowing that there are others around uh, yeah. that care right, yes. uh, can make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so I have a question regarding founders, right? Or, or a question for founders. Um, so, you know, I, I, I always talk about our our roles, right? As CHRO, CPO, as almost the CEO whisperer, right? Someone who is very, very close to... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like steal that term now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly doesn't apply to me. I believe that you have not been a founder yourself before, but you have closed very, very, you have worked very closely with founders. And from that perspective and the people lens that you have today developed over years of experience in the space, right, in many companies, I'm wondering if you would have any thoughts uh, for founders, but especially early stage founders who might need to, shape up their teams so when when they start looking at the people aspect of their organizations mm-hmm. what thoughts might you might you have or advice might you have for them i, I would say you know when you're forming your founding team mm-hmm. right um, it is a team that's going to shape the future of the business and the culture very importantly and will to a great extent influence uh, the resiliency mm-hmm. of the business, right? So um, I, my first advice, right, when it comes to shape, shaping that team is to really hire competent, humble, curious, and open-minded individuals to form part of your team. Don't hire people you've known in the past that you know could do those jobs. Right, keep an open mind. Mm. Seek out talent. Build a diverse team. So don't always found it with friends and family, mm-hmm. people that you know from your past, because those uh, perspectives tend to dovetail into a very unifying but may not be very helpful point of view moving forward. So you need that diversity from the beginning, mm. right? Um, and you need to hire a team a group of people that can work together. Because I think sometimes uh, CEO founders tend to hire superstars, 
and, and you know, great talent. But the most important thing is, is the ability of the people to come together to form a unified team to charge ahead in the same direction, right? Having talent is great, but if they can't work together, there will be chaos. And chaos, you know, will undermine everything that the CEO founder tries to build. So um, hire, be open-minded about who you hire, seek out talent, seek out diversity in perspectives. And, you know, um, get a few pair of eyes on the people that as a CEO founder, you're, you're curious, you want to bring in. Get a few different other pairs of eyes and conversations going, right? It's not about hiring by consensus. It's not because then, you know, nothing really will get done. Uh, but is to be able to see a more holistic side of the candidate, right? Because I have to say, by virtue of a CEO being a CEO founder, mm-hmm. you have certain drives and beliefs about your ability to do things and your ability to identify talent. However, don't let it blindside you, <laughs> right? Create that um, diversity of thought and perspective uh, already at the beginning. Get a team that is competent and that can work together. Yeah, so I I think that's a that's you know what advice I would give to any founder who's starting her or his own team. I I love your emphasis on diversity. I, yeah. I think uh, we are in a we are lucky to be in a region of the world where it's possible to find a certain type of diversity. Yeah, perhaps nationality, race. Uh, it always feel like feels like there's an endemic lack of gender diversity, especially in the technology space, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and I would make an emphasis myself, if you don't mind me Absolutely. sort of piling on top of what you were saying, right, regarding yeah. gender diversity, because that is an additional type of perspective that is added to the decision-making process. Um, and as you very well said, right, that yeah. is better better outcomes yeah um, we absolutely must decisions. seek out yeah seek out different perspectives mm-hmm. uh, on on the situation and on talent yeah fantastic um we're about to wrap up but i have a couple of questions for you um i always like to finish these chats uh, asking for a, a personal recommendation of a book that you perhaps enjoyed or influenced you in some way May I recommend two books? <laughs> <laughs> by all means, even better. We get a double whammy from you. <laughs> yeah, two books, but by the same author called yeah. David Marquette. And uh, I tout his books to anyone who would listen to me recommend because I find that they are organization changing, they're culture changing, and they're leader transformational. So the two books um, are by this um author called David Marquette. Mm-hmm. He's first known for his first book called Turn the Ship Around. And it's really from him that I've learned um, the way to uh, cultivate and nurture self-organized teams. Because you can't say, hey, I empower you, go forth and be a team and make it happen. It doesn't work that way. You've got to put in place mechanisms and interventions to give power to people to become self-organized, right? So turn the ship around actually uh, outlines, I think, about 19 mechanisms, 19, right, uh, in three pillars, which is around control, competency, and clarity. When you have competence, when you have clarity, then you can give control away, right? Now, the second book is also by him, and it's called 
the language of leadership. And this book really impacted me personally because I'm a very um, self-assured, commanding kind of person. I can be very directive, particularly under uh, stress, right? So it was a real learning for me to how do you create safe space for conversations to hear different perspectives, different solutions, different ideas by using language, by how you speak, by what you ask, and by how you phrase certain things. We think we know it, right? But actually, this book really you know, opened my eyes to like, ah, those questions that I thought were helpful were not coming across as helpful. This different questions are helpful. So one is organizational transformative and one is personally transformative. And I highly recommend if you do nothing but read only two books this year, this is going to be the two <laughs> books I, I strongly recommend. Thank you very much. So The Language of Leadership and turn the ship around by yes. David Marquette. Marquette, that's so, right. Um, I will you, figure out how to put them in the notes. <laughs> um, and uh, we have come to the end of our uh, discussion, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Before we do that, um, um, I would love to uh, to share with our listeners, right? Where can they find more about you or connect with you? What is the best? What are the best places? Wow, um, I'm I'm not really out there. I mean, I don't I don't write a lot or or, or you know post a lot, uh, but they can definitely find me on LinkedIn, and I'm would love to have conversations with people who are also trying to figure out with me how do we enable self organized teams to happen, right? How do we unlock and also harness the potential of talent in teams? So find me on LinkedIn. Uh, drop me a message. And uh, yeah, if you put that as your tagline, right, self self organized teams, then absolutely, I will connect with you and have a conversation and learn and learn from you as well. Self organized teams, there you go. How uh, <laughs> there, Vicky? Thank you so much for your time. It has been a real pleasure to have this chat with you. Uh, I have myself learned quite a few things, and I am definitely kind. going to You're be looking kind. at those two books that you recommended. Thank you. So Thank you, Sergio. Thank you for your time and opportunity. Before we close, as a reminder, show notes are available on the link in the episode description. So do click through to get a summary and related resources. We hope you liked the episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you did, please do spread the word about our podcast and take a second to rate us five stars. Thank you for joining us today. This was Belinda with the XA Podcast. See you next time.